It's time now for uh, Plain Politics, this uh, partnership between the uh, Star Tribune and WCCO Today, John Rash and DJ Tice from the Star Tribune. Gentlemen, thanks for having you uh, on the show as always. They're both on the Centerpoint Energy Home Service Plus Hotline. John, I'm going to start with you. I, I saw multiple hours of the Bill Barr testimony yesterday. It's very important. The Attorney General appearing in front of a, a committee that he has not appeared in front of in 18 months. That's unacceptable. Uh, many different questions on Lafayette Park, on Oregon, on other stories. And I found a lot of it just insulting and just typical, John, of what we see now. In this case, Unlike other cases, when the Democrats, excuse me, the Republicans are every bit as guilty, where the Democrats were making their points, when Barr, and I'll say someone I disagree with on, on some key issues, was attempting to answer, and he was interrupted over and over and over again. I think there are so many important questions to ask Bill Barr, but if he's there, let the man answer, and then... It's heck of a chutzpah, let's go with that word, for Jim Jordan to be lecturing Democrats about this because when we had the impeachment hearings, that's all Jim Jordan did himself. What's happened to these hearings? Why can't we at least hear from the witnesses and then after they provide an answer, if you want to vehemently disagree with the question, let's see that. Well, they're called hearings, but no one seems to be listening, and you're quite right in that there's a whole lot of preening and not nearly as much probing of to try to get to the bottom of what's happening with incredibly consequential questions facing the Justice Department and thus the nation. And people from both sides of the aisle too often, as you just said, try to take this time and literally say, this is my time. And so thus they launch into a speech as opposed to trying to get the answers from the witness. Now, I think it's also, you know, a reflection of just how deeply divided a society and a body politic that we are in that there seems to be a sense in this particular case that the Attorney General is going to have answers that are so far from how Democrats perceive the state of issues that they're talking about, whether it be Portland or the Mueller report or whatever issues have engulfed what should be, you know, a much less political position here in this country. So I think that as time moves on, this is yet another aspect of the Beltway experience that's in need of reformation. What did you think, Doug? Well, I agree with all that, but, you know, I think the, um, the formula here is where where congressional hearings are involved is the more the higher profile the hearing, the more you know people are paying attention, the bigger the television audience, the more obnoxious and useless the event will be. Uh, if a person was it tunes into C-SPAN once in a while, there are plenty of congressional hearings on that, of course, hardly anybody is paying any attention to. And very often they are substantive, uh, informative, uh, both the conduct of the members and the witnesses is uh, professional and thoughtful. 
but whenever you get one of these hearings that becomes the grand inquisition, and it doesn't matter who's in the majority and, and the minority, the members of Congress love that political theater. They apparently think that they get wonderful little bits of video out of it uh, to stir up their base. I think all, they almost always end up looking like like bullies and uh, uh, and buffoons. You know, real I quick agree. On that, Chad, I, yeah, and I was just going to say, Doug makes a great point, and in fact, very close to home, and uh, a close colleague of Doug and mine, Jill Burkham, she testified uh, regarding. Native American or Indian run schools on some work that she uh, had done some extraordinary editorials on, became a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize. And that's an example of how people from both sides of the aisle asked and heard, you know, thoughtful questions and responses and actually tried to get to the bottom of what was keeping this to be such a challenging issue. And so if that was not a high profile hearing, certainly an important issue, if they're done well, they certainly are worthy, but those that are in the limelight, you know, there seems to be more heat than light that, that come out of them. Well, as as we're talking right now and over the last couple hours and just because of the show, I have not had a chance to listen. There's another very vital hearing that's taking place where the the heads of the the elite big tech companies are are facing questions from this panel again you know with uh, the makeup of obviously republicans and democrats doug you first and then john you chime in next how significant is this that we're seeing uh apple and we're seeing google and we're seeing facebook and not just members of those companies the leaders of those sure. companies facing significant questions on the power they wield and the fact that the power is seemingly only getting bigger by the hour? Well, I think it's very significant, uh, and it's a good thing, of course, that the, the top uh, officers of the, the companies are appearing and responding to these questions, but it's certainly a measure of the power uh, that these firms uh, wield today, and of course, it's a power over the the content of the public debate because they have such a gatekeeping uh, uh, force. They are such a gatekeeping force to determine, you know, what what can and can't uh, get distributed, and that people should have can have access to. And of course, there's all kinds of pressure on them to prohibit certain things and to prevent hate speech and what you know what some people would characterize as hate speech others would uh you know would characterize as uh uh you know speaking truth to power and so on mm -hmm. uh, and these are very difficult questions uh and there's danger uh both in them doing too little and, and too much at the same time there's no question that these firms and the the technology that they've done so much to advance you know has has revolutionized uh public access and the ability for voices to be heard in, in a way that surely is beneficial or potentially beneficial and we don't want to uh, kill that golden goose either so it's a it's an important and and challenging yep. issue John what do you think 
Well, pursuant to what we began talking about with Attorney General Barr, there seems to be too many speeches and not enough listening. So just in one example, this is ostensibly to talk about the power that these big tech firms have. And I think the more profound problem is misinformation that is sent purposefully, and this is in the news as well, often specifically by foreign agents, be they from Russia or China or Iran or North Korea or or other hostile actors, both state and non-state. And yet what seems to be stated, you know, by some of the Republicans there, the aforementioned Jim Jordan, when he had his time, said, I'll just cut to the chase. Big tech's out to get conservatives and went into a rant about how uh, these big tech firms are trying to censor conservatives. Not mentioning. And it's resonating, by the way, John. You know that. Yeah. And and not but not mentioning that about seven out of the top 10, you know, top trending uh, either site individuals or institutions on Facebook right now are conservatives, Fox News yep. and other legislators. And, you know, who has been thwarted is just the medical misinformation. And as an example, the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., you know, pushing forward already debunked um, medical information about the COVID-19. And so, you know, I don't think that I think that that issue is not germane at all. And it's proven by the readership and, and by where people go online. But it's once again, in this particular instance, where someone is trying to disprove a political point as opposed to really contend what the real issue is and the power that these companies have both in the marketplace and the marketplace of ideas. Let's pause right here, come back, talk about what is happening today in apparent agreement between the federal government and the governor of Oregon, and also Jonathan Swan from Axios, his interview with the president and what the president said about his recent conversation with Vladimir Putin. Chad Hartman with you. It's Plain Politics uh, with the Star Tribune editorial board, John Rash and DJ Tice. Short pause. We'll come right back. The city of, or- of uh, Portland, Oregon, has drawn a lot of interest post the death of George Floyd and the charges murder against the four officers. Certainly we know what happened here in the Twin Cities area, in particular Minneapolis. Portland has continued where you have had a combination of peaceful protests, violent protests, what appeared to be slowing down, then the federal government coming in. When many of the law enforcement officials in the federal government were not identified, that people were taken off the street, and they had no idea who was taking them off the street. And you've had people in the city of Portland who have criticized the governor but have also criticized the federal government. The president has made this a large story, just talking law and order, law and order all the time. CBS is among the outlets reporting that the federal government has agreed to a phase withdrawal of federal offices from Portland beginning tomorrow saying a clear agreement that all Customs and Border Protection and ICE officers will leave downtown Portland on Thursday. Doug, I'll start with you on this one. Um, Where does this go? Because there's so many permutations with this on the protest, on those 
were intent on violence in the protests. We had the report yeah. yesterday about Umbrella Man We in, in Minneapolis and what took place a couple days afterwards. The president has made this a big story. Um, cities are still facing an uptick in violence, Minneapolis included. A lot of ways to go on it. What, where do you want to chime in? Well, I, yes, I think that um, everything depends on where the protests go and, and whether some kind of calm uh, settles in and, uh, you know, reduces the, the level of violence, both just the chaotic, anarchic kind of violence that we've seen, as well as the uh, demonstrations that that turn violent. Uh, and clearly in Portland, they've had a hard time, you know, getting beyond it. In Minneapolis, we've sort of moved from large-scale protests to, uh, you know, just a rolling uh, gang battle uh, out there, as as well as just, as I say, anarchic uh, violence here and there, carjackings and, and all the rest. Uh, cities are a little bit out of control. I think it's a good thing if the uh, if the administration and the uh, officials there in Portland can come to an agreement that you know satisfies the feds that uh, the federal property will be protected by the locals um, and uh, certainly if they're not wanted you know federal officers ought not be uh, in, in on the streets of our uh, of our cities you know on the other hand they do have authority to enforce federal law and protect uh, federal property. So these cities need to get these situations under control. And really, until they until they do and until things settle down, we're going to we're going to have a certain amount of chaos. John, how about you? I concur with Doug that, you know, the situation is quite complex. And specifically, there are the issues of what's happening in Portland and the need to protect federal buildings, but the method in which the government went about it was highly suspect and suspicious in terms of putting agents on the ground without clear identification of who they are, unmarked vehicles that people were being pulled into. That's the type of thing that happens in authoritarian governments where the U.S. makes a lot of noise and can often, in a normal administration, affect change on the ground. That doesn't mean to say that there isn't this rolling anarchy, as DJ correctly points out, that is happening in many major American cities, Minneapolis included, that the federal government could play a constructive role in trying to augment the local and state forces that are trying to contend with this. But in a normal time, in a normal administration, there would be clear, cohesive collaboration between local, state, and federal authorities, they would figure out a strategy, they would be invited in, and some of the problems may be ameliorated, if not ended. And yet the imposition of these forces without the local consent makes it yet another deep divide in American society, and one that has clear danger because of the nature of some of the criminal activity that's taking place. So it's really a shame because cities need help. They just may not need it the way that it's being opposed upon them by the Trump administration. Uh, you know, I think that's true, and there's a there's certainly a danger that the Trump administration, that Trump himself, is is motivated by a desire for you know good political theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I think there's some some politics affecting things on the other side too, where it's just very difficult 
for mayors and governors in, in blue states and blue cities to cooperate with Donald Trump on anything. Yep. Even if they needed got, the help, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't give him the opportunity to be helpful. Gentlemen, we're, uh, we're out of time. We'll end there. I would say it's worth uh, taking a look at uh, Jonathan Swan's interview with the president on uh, what he didn't say to Vladimir Putin. Always appreciate it. We'll uh, talk next week. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, Chad. John Rash and uh, DJ Tice from the Star Tribune, uh, Plain Politics. Uh, you can check that out live. You can check it out at radio.com or, and also startribune.com.